Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. In February, we're going to do a series, a six-week series called This Is Us, and it's in our worship services and in our life groups. Our, our life groups are our small group Bible studies of all ages, preschool all the way through adults, and uh, we'll study the same theme in both life groups and in the worship services, and it really is about who we are, who we want to be as a church, who we believe God wants us to be individually and corporately, and uh, I just hope you'll join us for that. I think it's going to be a really special time. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read the first nine verses as we talk this morning on the last days. Let's read beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the, to the faith, but they, will be, they, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. Well, let's talk about the last days, and I want to uh, give you a couple principles as we talk about them. And if you're a note taker, if you're online, you can take notes right there. Last week I watched the services online and take the notes right there at home, or if you're here in person, you can take these notes. Here's the, the two principles. You're going to have some things you might want to write underneath them, but here's the first principle I want you to get. In the last days, people will turn from godliness. And we're going to talk about the last days. The Bible says, know this, hard times will come in the last days. And one of the things that will happen is a turn from godliness. Now, the, word, the words last days, the hard times that will come in the last days, refers to in kind of a sense two things. One is the, the time after the work of Jesus in this world. Jesus came into this world to do the work that we needed. He did the work of living the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. He died in our place. He did the miracle we need in rising from the grave. He ascended back to the Father to make intercession for us. And so there's a sense in which everything since then, these are the last days and the Bible describes it that way. But there's also a sense in which the last days are the days when, as we approach the day when the Lord is going to return, because the Bible says, as Jesus ascended back into heaven, he's coming again to, re to receive us. And we will meet the Lord again. We will see the Lord, stand before the Lord, either through the grave or through the air. And when the Lord returns, what we call the rapture of the church, he'll receive those who know him as Savior, and all who have lived will stand before God in judgment, either through the grave or through the air. When I was, uh, a, when I was a boy, the Jesus movement took place, and a few of you here are old enough to remember the days of the Jesus movement. And it was a time when many, many young people came to know Christ as Savior. I love that. I love seeing young people come to know the Lord as Savior. I mean, I want to see uh, young and old, of course, come to the Lord, but it's something about seeing young people and, and following the Lord and beginning to grow in their faith and then an opportunity to live a lifetime for God's glory and for his honor. And so 
During the Jesus Movement days, not only did a lot of young people come to faith in Christ, but one of the things that happened during that time was a kind of a general expectancy of the return of the Lord at any moment. And that's, I believe, how we ought to live. I don't know when the Lord is going to return, nor do you, but we ought to be ready for his return at any moment. We ought to be ready for the Lord to return at any moment. There ought to be a sense that the Lord's return could be imminent. And as we look at these descriptions, these I'm going to look at 19 characteristics, 19 characteristics here in Scripture of the last days. Let's remember that they are pointing us to the fact that the Lord is going to return, and we're going to stand before Him either through the grave or through the air. And we ought to live with the end in sight. So let's look at these 19 characteristics that are mentioned here. I just, I kind of want to, you might, they're all in the the Scripture here. You don't have to write them down if you don't want, but you might want to write down down these four uh, words why I think God gives us these descriptions and characteristics, four words that help us to understand this. One is the word listen. God wants us to listen to his, to his voice and to his word. We hear the culture all the time. We don't have to work hard at that. Our culture's all around us. We hear what the world has to say all the time, but I want you to listen to what God has to say. Number two, write the word um, learn. God wants us to learn the truth. He wants us to know the truth. It's what sets us free. He wants us to learn what's wrong, what's right, what's, what's happening in our world to really begin to see his perspective. Number three is the word leave. God wants us to leave the things that are wrong and even those who would hinder us from following the Lord. We leave, we turn from the wrong, and God tells us what's wrong so that we can leave the wrong, repent of it, and turn back to God. And then number four is to live. God wants us to live the truth, to live out our faith, to live for his glory, to live in these end days, in these last days, uh, understanding that we're going to stand before him one day to live well and effectively and to live God's purposes. So let's look at these 19 characteristics. Are you ready? Number one, the Bible says people will be lovers of self, lovers of self. Does that sound anything like our day? We love us. In fact, we love us, not plural, but singular. We we love me. We are self-centered in large measure as a culture. It's a very easy thing for us to happen. The Bible says hard times will come in the last days, and here's one of the characteristics. The first one mentioned, people will be lovers of self. Number two, the Bible says people will be lovers of money. Now, money's a fine tool, but it is a terrible master. And materialism, the love of money, It's such a common part of our culture. It's such a a major part of how we think about life. It's one of the reasons God talks to us so often in his word about giving, because giving is the antidote to that materialistic mindset, to money becoming the master instead of the tool. It's one of the reasons we talk often in our church about about tithing unapologetically. One of the reasons I tithe. let Let me mention three reasons why I give a tenth of my income and beyond to, my, to our church budget. Three reasons. I commend them to you. One is obedience. I want to obey the Lord. That's a pretty good reason to do, uh, to do what he tells me to do. Tithing's a part of our response to God and obedience to him. Number two is the, the ministries and the mission that God has for us. I believe in the ministries and the mission. God wants us to participate. I'm thankful I can be a part of what God's doing around me. But number three, I do it. I give because... I need it. I do it because I need to give. Because I need that antidote to materialism. Because I don't want to be a lover of money as is so common in our world and culture. And it's one of the things that resets me and refocuses my attention on what matters and what counts. 
Number three, people will be boastful in the last days. Or literally, that means full of big words. Boastful. It's a common thing. It's almost like sports is almost... It's almost become, look how great I am. Or someone's successful. Look at how wonderful I am. And we, boastfulness is such a part of our society. Number four, people will be proud in the last days. Is there any evidence of that? We've almost lost sight of what the word humility means. Humility is a teaching of the Bible. The Bible says we are to humble ourselves. It's our responsibility to humble ourselves. Humility says, I need God. Pride says, I don't really need God. I'm okay. I'll do it. Maybe I need God, you know, like some big thing or some terrible moment, but I can pretty, I'll run my own life. Humility says, I need God all the time. We use the word humble in such an odd way. We meet, we say we're humbled by an award. You see, you hear that constantly. I'm humbled by this award. We're not, we're not humbled by the award. We're more likely to be proud of the award. Look how great I am. Finally, the world has recognized how great I am. But we say that's humble. God wants us to humble ourselves, to recognize that we need him. We depend upon him. We trust him. And we're strong when we're weak. And we, rec- we are weak. And we find our strength not in our ability or talent, but in God's ability and God's strength and not our own. Number five, in the end times, people will be demeaning. Demeaning. That's the purpose of social media, isn't it? I mean, isn't that why we have social media? So we can demean others privately, publicly, permanently. It's such a common part. The Bible says in the end times, that's going to get worse. That we will tear each other down, make others less than human, less than worthy of our love. Number six, this may surprise you, it's in there. Disobedient to parents. Did you expect to see that one in the list of characteristics of the end times? Disobedient to parents. You know, the, the family is God's idea. God created the family. I know we live in a generation that has de-emphasized family. Marriage is de-emphasized. Family life as a whole, it's just a social construct, people will say. God made it, and he made it for a reason. It's a great value, a great benefit, a great purpose in the family. And those of you who are um, living with your parents, I just I want to encourage you to take this one to heart. Like it, it's not that popular. One of my uh, pastor acquaintances did not grow up in a Christian home. And he got invited to a uh, church youth uh, group, youth ministry, student ministry. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's something, I love, I love that. I love to see our youth growing in faith. I love to see God working in our teenagers. And I'm just telling you, I love that. And he got invited to a student ministry that was, you know, really excited about the things of God. He heard the gospel for the first time, and he would eventually give his life to Christ. And he was a teenager, and he was away from the Lord until that time, and he was just rebellious. It's a very common malady in um, teenage years, isn't it? He was just rebellious toward his parents in every way. And when he gave his life to Christ... God immediately convicted him in this area. Now, his parents were not believers. And when he told them that he trusted Christ as Savior, they weren't like, you know, super excited about this or anything. But they could not help but notice the change in the way he honored them. 
and respected them and obeyed them. And so the Bible says in the end times, we're going to forget about that. We're going to say, man, you, don't, you shouldn't have anyone tell you what to do. Family life is old-fashioned. The Bible says that's what end times are going to be like. God made your family. Can I just urge you? Your, I know your parents are imperfect. I already knew that. But you respond as God wants you to respond. There's a value in it. Number seven, people will be ungrateful. They will forget to say thank you. They won't know who to thank for the blessings they have to begin with in many cases. They won't thank those that they ought to thank. They won't thank the Lord. Number eight, they'll be unholy. The word here is irreverent. There are holy things, things that are set apart. God is holy. That's his nature. God gives us his holy word set apart. It's God's word for us. But people will be irreverent about the things of God, about God himself, about his word. More of that's coming. I've watched that in my lifetime. The irreverence has just grown and grown in my lifetime. It makes me consider that the end of time is coming. Number nine, people will be unloving. The Bible says about God and the description of God, his holy and his love. If you know nothing else about God, but you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that God is holy and God is loving. Those two things are the attributes of God. And yet in the end times, people will be unholy and they will be unloving. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. It leads us in the right way, but the culture is moving in an unloving way. Number 10, people will be irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. Now God reconciles us. Jesus reconciles us to God the Father. That's what Jesus does. We are broken. Our sin has caused us to be uh, broken, to be separated from God, who is holy. And Jesus, by his work, reconciles us to God. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And by his work, we can be forgiven of sins as we place our faith in him and reconciled to God, made right before God. And because of that, not only does God not only does Jesus reconcile us to God, but through that, he reconciles us to others. You may have said, I can't forgive. I'm not going to forgive. And the world certainly understands that. But the Lord forgives us. And through his forgiveness, we can learn to forgive others. And I want you to learn that lesson. You don't have to stay in the bondage of unforgiveness from those who have wronged you in the past. You don't have to pretend they didn't wrong you even. But you, you can learn to forgive. And God can bring reconciliation into relationships. Can I just say, that's one of the things God does in the church. The world says, we cannot be reconciled. And we've got to be separated in a thousand ways. You know, the world says we're supposed to be separated by the pigmentation of our skin. Did you know that? The world says that to us all the time. We're supposed to be separated by the pigmentation of our skin. Or by a thousand things. How much you have or don't have. That's what the world does all the time. God makes us one in Christ. People with every kind of personality, every kind of background, every kind of sin in their past. God brings us together. He does that. Politics can never do that. Economics can never do that. Christ makes us one in him. It's a beautiful picture of the reconciliation that God gives. Number 11, people will be slanderers. I feel like I'm back to social media again. Malicious talk is the idea here. Malicious talk. I'm going to talk badly about others. I'm going to tear them down by my words. Words can be painful and hurtful. People will use them in the end times to harm others. Number 12, people will be without self-control. Without self-control. 
Boy, self-control is a beautiful, beautiful concept, but it's less and less common as the end times come along. People say it. Here's how we say it. We say about our whatever problems, mistakes, failures, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. As though we don't have any choice in the matter. We don't have any control. We can't make decisions. The world says that to you all the time. That's just anger. You got an anger problem? That's just the way you are. You don't have to do anything about that. The Lord says um, you have a choice in the matter. And you can learn by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God's word, to control that anger. You don't have to live a victim to your past, to your mistakes. You don't have to be defined by whatever it is in your, whatever baggage there is that you brought to this place this day. And if you will learn, young people, if you will learn self-control, you are so far ahead of the game. You're so far ahead because many have never learned that lesson. Self-discipline, a quiet time, a devotional time of reading God's word each day and spending time in prayer, some, a little bit of discipline. I can't, I can't tell you how many people have acted as though they, that's too much for me. To spend some time in God's work, self-control matters deeply, and God will use it in your life, but in the end times will be less of it. Number 13, people will be, will be uh, brutal. Sounds so much like our age. Man's brutality against man is painful beyond description. Number 14, people will be without love for what is good. People will be without love for what is good. God, this is a broken world and a fallen world. But we see in this day a foretaste of glory divine, to use the words of an old song. In heaven, there'll be no more brokenness. In heaven, there'll be no more, no more bad. But in this world, we see many good things. But many people are without love for what is good. God made beauty, for example. He didn't have to make beauty, but he did. God made color. God didn't have to make color, but he did. God made music. We wouldn't even know what music is if we didn't have music, but God made music. He made these things that are good. And we can love these things that are good. We ought to have a deep appreciation for the beauty that God has given to us. The foretaste for us who are believers of what heaven will be like, a picture of what we'll experience fully in heaven. Number 15, um, people will be traitors. Or the idea here is to be treacherous, even betraying others. The Bible tells us the end times people will betray family and friends. Number 16, people will be reckless or rash. That's where we don't think about consequences. We don't think about the future. We just live for the moment. No thought about what might happen. You know, everything has consequences. Every choice you make has some consequences. Did you know that? If you take one path or another, there are consequences. It leads somewhere. And people will forget that, and they will live a rash life, a reckless life, as though there is no tomorrow, never thinking about eternity. I think it's one of the tools of the enemy is just to keep us from ever considering what the future holds and what God wants. Number 17, people will be conceited. This means to be swollen with self-importance. It sounds like our age so much. Swollen with self-importance. John the Baptist, you know John the Baptist is a great guy. I mean, he's one of those guys in heaven, just got to meet the, I don't know if he's still wearing the leather jacket and stuff in heaven, but what a, what a great, great man. And people, you know, he preached boldly, powerfully, persuasively. People came from all over. He was in the wilderness. People came from, from all over to come hear John the Baptist. And, and then when Jesus came along, people 
his disciples started leaving him and they said, boy, John, didn't it kind of bother you a little bit? And John the Baptist said, he must increase. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. Does that sound like our day? We're the opposite. John the Baptist said, I must decrease. It's not, my life's not about me. And he must increase. And I'm going to put my focus on him. And the Bible says in the end times, there'll be less of that as people become more conceited and swollen with self-importance. Number 18, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. As I read this, as you know, I've read this now several times in the last few days, and I just, this one has jumped out at me so much. It sounds like our day. It reminds me that the Lord's return is, is so, so soon. Pleasure has become an idol for many. We live for pleasure. I mean, that's what most important in life. Pleasure has become a God with little g for many the goal of life. And so we're always searching for the next pleasure, whatever it is. Sex, pornography, drugs, whatever gives us that momentary pleasure. And we're missing. Instead, we're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God has something so much better for us, so much more lasting, so much deeper, so much richer. And th- but the end times, and I think we're in the end days, pleasure has become an idol for many. Number 19. It's found in verse 5. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. That's what it will be like in the end days. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. This is sort of the picture of empty religion. Empty religion. So, God wants us. He wants you. Religion is the outside, what you do in the outside. Rightly understood, it's our response to our relationship with God. Because of God in us, we respond in certain ways. But wrongly understood, it just becomes the shell. So God has the outside, but not the inside. We're like the cicada we have in these areas. You know, you have the cicada will um, come out, make all the noise. They'll shed their skin and you'll find them hanging on uh, um, trees or something. So Empty religion is like the shell of the cicada. It's not that the cicada is gone, but the shell's still there. And in religion, we look all right on the outside. On the outside, you know, everything looks okay. And you can fool others. You can fool your family even maybe. But you, and you might even fool yourself. But God wants you. And he will never be satisfied with just religious activity. You know, I, Sunday morning, check the box. All right, I did it. He wants you. All of you, every bit of you, all the time. He wants you, that relationship with you. And out of that will come, of course, religious acts. But the Bible says in the end times, it'll hold to the form of godliness, but deny its power. And then the Bible says, avoid these people. So there's some things we, those who would keep us from that, we, we leave. We, we, we don't let them drag us down. So here's what we do. We listen. God, I want to hear your word and not just the word of the culture. I want to learn I want you to, I want to learn the truth because the truth is what sets me free and I want to know what you have to say. I want to learn the lessons you have for me. I want to leave. There's some things, as I read through these words, there are some things you're bringing conviction to me. You want me to change or remove or to run from and I want to live. God, I want to act like you want me to act and have the life you want me to have and live that out. And so I want you to see a second principle now. I talked about in the last days, people will turn from godliness. Here's another example of the last days. In the last days, people will turn from truth. They'll turn from truth. 
That's this, j this day, this age, this culture, this generation. Today we have more information than ever. I was with my uh, family some time ago, and I, I was stepped out for a minute, and I came back in, and there was my brother on his phone, and his wife head down on her phone. And there was my beloved wife on her phone. And there was my 84-year-old grandmother, I'm a mother, my mother, 84-year-old mother. <laughs> Don't ever tell her I called her my grandmother. Don't ever say that. <laughs> on her phone. And I said, this is the modern American family, isn't it? I mean, it's how you, you know, we're all gathered together just looking at our phone. You can get information about anything. You can find out every little piece of trivia you want. We know more information and less about truth than we've ever known as a society. That's this day. In the last days, people will turn from truth. Let's note three things here. Note first, there'll be deception. Verse 6 says, For among them are those who worm their way into households. They're trying to do damage to the breakup of the home is one of the goals of the enemy. And deceive gullible women. It's it's not, talking about, it's not saying every woman is gullible, but these women in particular are. And these women are overwhelmed by sins. Sin does overwhelm. And, and led astray by a variety of passions. They're following their passions instead of the Lord. They're being deceived, and there are deceivers. And there are, there are deceivers and those who are being deceived. Now, how would you know um, about counterfeit money? And so maybe, I know people don't use cash as much, but maybe... Grandma gave you $100 for Christmas or something. Not my grandma. My mom. My mom didn't do it either as I think about it. And when she comes, instead of telling her the part about calling her grandmother, tell her that she didn't give me $100. But anyway, if she gave me a $100 bill and I wanted to know if it was a counterfeit, I'm not going to look at all the counterfeits that have ever been made. You know, people use different kinds of paper and um, they make, make little mistakes on things and misspell America or something. I don't know. Or... Maybe, more importantly, I could look at the real thing and really try to understand the truth, the real. Well, God wants you to know the real, because the deceiver is always deceiving, and we're always in danger of being deceived. It's one of the reasons why we open God's Word when we gather together on Sunday mornings, why our life groups are Bible studies. We want to learn what God has to say. We want to know the truth. We want to know what God has to say. We want to ask you to open God's Word for yourself, read through that New Testament for yourself, spend time with God alone in prayer. We want you to know the truth so that you can recognize the deceptions that come. There's a second part to this, and it's what I'll call empty education. Verse 7 says, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This sounds like our age. Always learning. There's never been a greater emphasis on education than today. I love education. i got lots of education. But the Bible says they're always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So I want you to note something. Education alone is not enough. People think, you know, if our society just had enough education, education doesn't change the heart. It doesn't always teach us the truth. There are a lot of really well-educated people who are living, according to the Bible's definition, foolish lives. I watched a documentary. I love documentaries. My wife doesn't, she's not so big on documentaries, so sometimes she'll let me watch one, and I was watching a documentary on a guy, and he's, man, brilliant, sharp, smart. But I realized after a while, he didn't know the first thing about the truth of who God is and what God wants and what God's doing. 
I mean, he's, he's educated. I mean, he's smart. He's intelligent. God's given him a great ability and talent, but he's, by the Bible's definition, he's foolish. So the goal, can I just tell you, the goal of our life groups is not merely for the accumulation of knowledge or the accumulation of facts. We don't just gather and worship so you can be a little bit better at playing Bible trivia or something. Education is a means to a greater end, which is to glorify the Lord and not the end itself. And so, otherwise we become like verse 7, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, so much like our own day and age. Number three is what I call resistance, or resistance to truth. Verse, verse 8 says, uh, in, in, verse 8 9 introduces to these people called Janus and Jambres. They're not mentioned in the Old Testament, but these are referring to the magicians who stood against Moses in Egypt when Moses was calling Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of bondage and into freedom. These are the magicians who opposed him. Here's how they're described. There are men who are corrupt in mind, that is their mind's not thinking like it ought to, as God made it to think, and they're worthless in regard to the faith. They're missing their purpose in life. Many are living that kind of life now. They're not thinking straight, and they're not living a life of purpose and meaning. And the Bible says their foolishness will be clear to all. As you come closer to the Lord, you'll see the foolishness that they're displaying. God is saying here they opposed Moses, but they didn't just oppose Moses. They were opposing the truth. And ultimately, they're opposing the work of God. And when we resist the truth, we're not just resisting I don't know, a church or, um, or resisting a, a parent who is an imperfect Christian or some uncle who is an imperfect believer, if we're not careful, we find ourselves imposing the truth itself, and we find ourselves opposing God himself. And in the last days, the Bible says people will turn from the truth. So here's what I want to ask of you in response. I want to ask you to commit to following God's word and not the world's word. Would you say, God, I want to follow what you say, not just what the culture says, but what you say. I want to go your way and not just the way of the world. I want to listen to your voice. I hear what the culture says all the time. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to learn. I want to know the truth that sets me free. I want to learn your purpose and your plan. I want to leave the things that you want me to leave. And perhaps as we've gone through some of these, God has convicted you of some things he wants to change in your life, some things he wants to add or remove or correct. And then I want to live the life you made me to live. And if you know Christ, that you saved me to live. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've had religion, but you've never had a relationship with God. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, you must be born again. He wants a relationship with you. Would you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus and receive him as Savior? And he'll save you. God wants you. And Christian would just say, God, I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to leave what I need to leave. And I want to live the life you made me to live. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word, for the truth that you teach us. And Lord, as we look at these characteristics, we can't help but think this is, man, we are at the end days.
And we know one day we are going to stand before you, whether that's through the grave or through the air. One day soon we're going to stand before you. So help us to live our life with that end in sight. Help us to listen to your word. Help us to learn the lessons you want us to, to learn. Help us to leave what we need to leave to turn from it and help us to live the life you made us to live to the honor and glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.